Get ready to be inspired as we welcome James, James Fair, an IT and leadership expert with over 35 years of experience and a passion for people-first focused leadership. James has climbed the ranks from entry-level technician to senior vice president at Executech, and now shares his wealth of knowledge and experience to help others be their best. In this live interview, we'll delve into James's intentional entrepreneurial journey from zero to hero and explore his tips and advice for achieving success, overcoming obstacles and developing the mindset and habits necessary to achieve financial stability and prosperity. Join us as we uncover the secrets to James' success and discover how to unleash your inner hero and live the life of your dreams. And this fabulous person has actually co-authored a book, A Journey to Riches, uh, Motivate Your Life, uh, which is available on Amazon. Right, James? It's available it on is. Amazon. You can just definitely yeah. go there, just type in the title and definitely get to it. James, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Very, very honored to be here, man. So every, every superhero has a backstory. So what was your pivotal decision you made in your career that led you to your success as a leader in the IT industry? Uh, actually, mine was uh, hunger. So I don't know if you've ever felt the, the, the urge going hungry, but I went hungry. And that's what did it for me. I was like, all right, life has to be different. So let me give you a little bit of backstory, if I may. Um, so most of my life, I was the super shy kid. I was too scared to ask women on dates, so I had no, I didn't go to any dances in high school, uh, just a, just super shy. And I had a really low self-esteem uh, growing up. So I didn't have very much luck with work either. I couldn't seem to hold on a job very long, and I ended up doing the jobs that really nobody else wanted to do. I was unloading semi-trucks. Uh, I like assisted with a neighbor doing siding, uh, outdoor house home covering over winter time. I helped a friend with his mom's rebuild his mom's house, you know, things like that. And I think a couple of culmination points for me. So one was uh, a relative of mine came and said, Hey, come do construction with me. It'll be a great, you know, entry in. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I had to buy steel toed shoes that were required on the job. So I spent like a little, little money I had buying steel toed shoes. And I went there and met the the contractor and he said, so do you have any skills with framing? No. Do you have any skills with concrete? No. Okay, I got a job for you. Come here. And he showed me this, it must have been like 30 foot pile of gravel. And he said, all right, I need you to move this pile of gravel from over here to over there. And he gave me a shovel and he said, find a wheelbarrow somewhere around here. And it was just, I mean, you know, credit to anyone who, who does that kind of work, but this was just not how I saw my life going. It was backbreaking and brutal. I, I lasted about an hour and I'm like, this is just not for me. And I went home feeling miserable and sorry for myself. I really did. But that wasn't the end of my, my lesson yet. So um, over time, the bill started to pile up. I wasn't working very much. And eventually I got to the point where I realized I was running out of food. I was watching the cupboard get more and more bare every day. And uh, I decided to do something I probably shouldn't have done. I thought, you know what, I'm going to take my checkbook and I'm going to write a, something that I know is going to bounce. I'm going to write a bad check. I need, I need the food. So I went to the grocery store and I loaded up a cart with food. Well, I guess the clerk somehow knew it too. He kept delaying. So, oh, here's, I had a problem here. Hang on, hang on. The next thing I know, there was police behind me and they were escorting me out of the store. <laughs> so that was yet another low point in my life that made me decide this was not for me. But the lowest point came still to come uh, as I watched my food just a window. My mom was slipping me money when she could, and I was still working those odd jobs, but it just wasn't keeping up. And eventually I opened the cupboard. I knew it was coming. I just tried to ignore it and pretend it wasn't happening. Maybe something would save me. Uh, but I opened the cupboard one day and the only thing I had to eat for the entire day was a leftover jar of peanut butter. And that was the low point of my, of my time. And that's when I, I remember just like, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say I had tears streaming down my face, man. I was it was brutal. I was ashamed. I felt miserable and guilty and like I couldn't even take care of myself. And I knew what was next for me was the street. And then something, some kind of fire fired up inside me and said, you know, I, I just remember screaming out loud saying, this is not what I came here to do. You know, this was not how I was going to live. I made a decision right then and there that I was going to change the course of my life. I was not going to head down this path and stay down that path. That was really the pivotal point for me. You know, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a, uh, <laughs> I mean, it must have been very horrifying, you know, uh, when, when you're going through 
uh, those kind of low points. I mean, I, I've had my, my own share of those kind of challenges throughout my life, you know, especially when you're younger, you know, when, when you are, uh, I think you have enough skill set if you have gone to a technical college or get a technical degree, whatever that technical is. I don't mean computers. I mean, it could be anything, right? Yeah. Uh, you could be air conditioning repair person. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, you know, but the thing is you have had the education to to do those kinds of things and you're ready to do them, but you're not there yet. And you're just looking for that break so that you can get in there so that you can show people and start earning some money but it's exactly. like it's the chicken or the egg, you know, <laughs> you know, you, even though you have the experience and you paid for it, now you have to pay that down. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, just life keeps on throwing its punches at you. Yeah. Just trying to get you to the curb. Yeah. I was pretty skilled at computers at the time, but I didn't have a piece of paper that said I could do it. And no one would take my word for it. No one would trust me that I could do the job. So. Yeah. One of the things talking about the paperwork and computers, um, uh, even though I'm known as a, a business growth hacker now, right? That, that's what I do. I grow, I grow businesses and I, I scale them and stuff like that. My background uh, since childhood has been computer science and I got oh, a degree. Nice. I did get a degree in computer science, uh, a cool. bachelor's degree, coded a ton of millions of lines of code, a, a ton of it. What it taught me, you know, in this part of my journey now, you know, which I have been in, on for 20 years now, uh, 20 plus years. What it taught me as a computer scientist, uh, my mind is very organized in two ways. One, everything has to make sense in, in its own boxes, right? right and number right. two, at the time I came out of came out as a computer scientist, I had to know physics and I had to know mathematics. Mm. The mathematics part of it, uh, numbers make a lot of sense to me, right? If it's not in numbers, I, I can turn anything into numbers. And then once you put it into numbers, you can modify it, right? Because you write right. it down on the on the floor of your factory that we put out 50 boxes today. You know what's <laughs> going to happen tomorrow? Well, somebody's going to put out 52 boxes. Yeah, exactly. That's what's yeah. going to happen. Believe me, it works all the time. The psychology <laughs> there works all the time. You know. So to me, to me, that always made sense. So when I when I started tackling business and marketing and learning from that, because I never got a degree in that. It, it's just whatever I learned on the street and. What I learned, uh, you know, the you know, turning around these businesses over the past twenty-five years, because my mind was wired that way, you know, that yeah. that's how things made sense to me in even in the world of business and marketing, and thank God for e-commerce, everything is about numbers, right? So right. Which, which is great for me, I love it, you know. <laughs> even brand equity, brand awareness has a number associated with it, yeah. And then you could you could uh, you know work on that and do that. So in your case, like given the fact that you had a very similar kind of a, a background, like from a technical standpoint, IT and cybersecurity, I did work in cybersecurity at, at one point in my career, you know. Cool. So how did that, like looking at IT and cybersecurity and what I just shared with you about my background, how did it shape your leadership skills, I mean, style and approach to, you know, managing organizations and managing an IT organization? Um. I had always been fascinated by leadership. Even as a kid, I remember I would read even fictional books. What I would take from them was the way the leader led people. Um, so I was always looking for what's the best way. I, I just had this belief that I would lead someday. Even as a kid, I had a dream to lead people. And, and you know, back then, I couldn't see it, right? It was like I'm this, this gawky, you know, tall, skinny kid with low self-esteem. I have no idea how I'm going to lead people. But that was my dream. I knew I wanted to. So I'd always been, whether it was a movie or a, a you know, radio show, anything, a book mostly, I read a lot of reading, um, I was taking from them, what is it about that leader that really inspired those other people? Um, so I don't, I'm not sure what about my past led me to that, other than the fact that I was really studying leadership my whole life, even growing up. Um, yeah, and I wanted to lead, you know, I wanted to lead the way people wanted to be led. Not because I was commanding, but because I, they, I earned their respect, right? Um, not through trust, not through micromanagement, things like that. And I really got that just from studying past leaders more than anything else. So you study, right? I, I did the same thing. Study a yeah. ton, like 150 yeah. books a year, you know? Yep. So study plenty. You have the motivation. And then, and then life throws its lessons at you as a leader. <laughs> exactly. like, Great, you learn all those things, put it up behind you. 
yeah. now I'm going to teach you a lesson, you know? Right. So what were some of those kind of challenges in your leadership, in your early leadership <laughs> that you learned? Um, so at 18 years old, I was convinced I was, I was meant to be a leader. So I found this lady who was running a fast food place. And I can, 18 years old, I convinced her I could manage her store for her. I was very convincing. I was certain. I had so much certainty that I could do this job. And yet, uh, when I got there, I was, oh, I was awful. I had the, I had the mindset. I believed I could do it. I had the skills because I'd read and read, studied and studied, but I didn't communicate at all. I was afraid to speak to people. I was afraid to have tough, tough conversations. So I bombed that something fierce, man. So that was definitely one of the biggest challenges I had was uh, learning what not to do. Um, let's see, what else I went to? Uh, some of the other ones probably were, you know, belief in myself, right? Could I actually do this job? I came from nothing. Um, you know, how, do I, how do I get myself to be able to do that? What I've discovered is that if you have a dream, First of all, just go for it, because even though you may not have the skills right now, there's something about the path you will take that will give you the skills you need. It just always seems to work out that way. If you have a dream, and you know, it's like me when I was a kid, I had I had a dream that I was going to be a leader. Yet I looked at that, and I'm like, there's no way. I have no idea how I'm going to lead a whole bunch of people. Yet here I am standing before you, a leader in many facets of my life. So I believe 100% certainty. I've seen this not only in my own life, but in the life of others. That when you decide to start on that dream and you start putting one foot in front of the other and doing those scary things and pushing past your comfort zone, that you will acquire the skills along the way you need to be who you need to be when you get there. Yeah, you know, what's funny is uh, what you said there, that when you take that action, what, this is what I have found in my career, right? And in, in my life, right? When you take that next step, and I'll explain what that next step is. That next step could be that you want to take it or you are forced to take it. And what yep. do I mean by that? Let's say you have a leadership position working for XYZ company. It's happening a lot now in 2023, right? A lot of people are getting laid off and stuff. You, you know, even though you didn't take that step, somebody else took that step for you and now you're let go, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of people, what they do is they mope. They they say, oh, why me? Why did it happen to me? I was such a good worker, this, 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 and that, right? But believe me, 10 years from now, when they reflect back on that moment in their life that they thought that that was the best job that they ever had, then they think about all the things that have happened, all the other doors that opened up subsequent to the fact that you exited that company. Exactly. You go like, you know what? None of those things would have happened. I can tell you that if if I revert back to like 10, 15 years ago with the things that didn't go my way, if I had not done that, I could not have co-founded a company with Gary Vaynerchuk. I could not have met the sharks on Shark Tank. You know, I could not have worked with a lot of celebrities that I work with right now, right? Yeah. That's how I reflect on things. Like even though right then and there, when you're going through that thing, right? It's horrible. I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna underscore that. It's horrible when you're going through it, even in that kind of a negative experience. But believe me, as long as you set your goal and motivate yourself to say, you know what? Let's move on. Let's move on to do, doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And believe me, when you get up, get, get off your bed and go and attend a networking meeting that you didn't even know that that uh, you would meet either a spouse of yours, future spouse or a future uh, co-founder that will co-found a company with you. You don't know that unless yeah. you get off your butt and go and do something. Whatever that do something scary is. things, do a scary action. It seems to always be something out of our comfort zone. <laughs> I actually, uh, I, I, I interviewed a phenomenal woman on, on this show. Uh, it's one of the episodes in, in this season. She met her husband because she wanted to do a, a journal for her news, college newspaper and, and went and, and interviewed which she had never done before, interviewed this phenomenal chef who nice. just happened to be become her husband in future. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's so, a pretty scary thing as a college yeah. student to go out and, and interview a, like a high profile chef, you know? Right, right. For me, I, I met the woman of my dreams because I stepped up. So I told you I was a shy kid, super shy, right? I would never talk to a woman. I didn't dance with anybody in high school. And I met my wife by doing that, I had to step up. I had to 
I had to have this, this conversation with a total stranger and it took, oh, it took everything I had. I actually left. I'm like, I can't do this. There's no way. And I left and all the way back to my office. I was kicking myself in the butt going, I got to take, I got to have this conversation. I got to the parking lot. I told the buddy I was with, I'm like, get out. He's like, what? I go, get out. He goes, you're going back, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. And I went back there and, oh, I, so I thought I was all like, you know, suave about the whole thing. I'm like, hi, you know, my name's changed. She said my hand was like, <laughs> I don't know if it was, but that's what she claims anyway. You I, thought you I, were Rico Suave. When you oh, were yeah. I was like, <laughs> hey, but she said it also proved to her that I wasn't some kind of player because I was obviously scared out of my wits in this conversation. So that's how I bet my wife actually that I'm with now. So. Uh, going back to leadership styles, you know, the person that you see in front of you right now is a very different person than when I was in the IT field and leading people. Horrible, uh -huh. horrible person. I, I can tell you that on, on camera live, I'm saying to the audience, this guy who seems like a nice guy now was a horrible person. I, oh, I'm no. reflecting back on my Sabir as a 25 year old, right? Okay. Um, in that in that period, I was very focused on deliverables and what needed to get done. Yeah. So it was process, procedure, and outputs. That's it. I did not care about the people side of it. Did not. Really I'm being people. very super, super honest with you. Either okay. you know, if you you either knew your C coding still skills and Java, or you didn't, and then you were in the other camp, outside the other side of the door. You know, that, that was really horrible. Very focused, right? Mm. Uh, so when, when I read about your focus on people first, right, yeah. that's a very yeah. different, that's a very different kind of a leadership style. And when I say that's who I was, I see that in a lot of other people in the IT field right now that, uh, that are growing up and they go from being an engineer to being a uh, development manager to becoming a, a supervising, uh, you know, whatever, and then they become a director of programming and coding and stuff like that. And they keep on frameworks and SVP yep. and stuff like that. Yep. But I think that if you don't balance it, I believe that you actually are hindering your growth as, a, as an individual. Uh, so you may have the technical skill sets of a manager, but you don't, you're not, you don't, you don't have leadership skills at all. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the, the coder, who does really well gets promoted to supervisor. And then he goes from supervisor to manager, and suddenly all those skills that they used to code are not needed anymore, and a whole new set of skills are required. And it's a big tough jump for a lot of people if they don't already have. To me, it's all about having that passion. Like, how can for me it was all about how can I make their lives better? I started asking myself, you know, what 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 kind of boss would they want? What kind of boss could I be that they would be they would earn you know earn their respect? Um, how can I earn their trust? Um, and questions like that were really what inspired me to be a better leader. Now, now I, I had flashed that book earlier in your bio about Motivate Your Life, right? Which yeah. you co-authored with other uh, amazing people. Uh, what were your What were your key takeaways that you hope the readers take away from that from from that writing? Yeah, one of them is certainly that we have, most of us have a belief that motivation is going to suddenly strike us, like lightning is going to hit, and I'm suddenly going to be motivated to do whatever it is that I'm, I'm afraid or I'm hesitant about or I'm holding off on. And the truth is that it's never going to happen. Motivation does not strike us. Motivation is created. So you must have a vision of some kind. Think of something you really want. And, you know, especially if it's scary, then oh, you've nailed it, right? Something that I really want, but it's, it's too scary to go for that's the kind of thing you want to land on. Starting, start seeing yourself doing that thing. What kind of person would it take to be that? You know, what would that person think? What would that person do? What kind of habits would that person have in order to be that person? So, to me, motivation is created. It's not just. It doesn't just suddenly strike you out of nowhere. That's a big key one for sure. Yep. Now, what I just said earlier about you know taking that into account, what I said about severe at twenty five, right? Yeah. To me, balancing balancing my technical expertise, which I I can I can attest it to myself, even though I'm patting myself when I was younger, I would say that I was highly technical, right? Sure. One of the, the best people, best coder, best designer, best everything, right? Nice. Well, when it comes to the people side of the equation, I I can tell you, reflecting back, I sucked <laughs> big time, right? Horrible person. So how do you balance your technical expertise, whatever that technical, in your case being IT and cybersecurity, 
balancing that with strong leadership skills because being an engineer i mean if you watch the show the tv show uh, when it was on big bang theory you you can get a reflection of technical people right technical people who are smart at what they do when it comes to people skill it's zero it's, an, it's almost non-existent right? right but how do you balance those two because you have to run a an it organization yeah you, you got to realize that there's a there's an extrovert inside you you know believe it or not i know a lot of I work a lot of techs who would just rather stay in the basement and, and work away in the dark with their hoodie on, right, than actually go meet people. Um, but there is an extrovert and an introvert in all of us. And we need to embrace that extrovert. We've got to bring out the person who wants to have a conversation. We want to make connection with people. The truth is we all want to make connection with people. We all want to have a conversation. So uh, it really starts with, do you have a passion for leadership? Because I really believe that's it. If you have a passion for something, you're going to learn about it. You're going to take the time outside of work to learn, to study, to grow, to get better about it. When you fall on your face at work, right? Someone you know, writes you a terrible review or a bad 360. What are you going to do differently in the future? So to me, it starts with a passion for leadership. If you don't have that, then I think you're probably in the wrong path. You gotta, <laughs> don't go down a path just because it's more money or you're looking for a great title. Um, do it because you really want to help people. You want to make a difference in their lives. That's the key to leadership, in my opinion. I mean, I've used this example in, on the show so many times uh, because it's very easy to understand, right, for most people. Uh, the people who know how to run a restaurant know how to run a restaurant really well. Yeah. People who know who are amazing Michelin star chefs, they are amazing Michelin star chefs. In, in the back of the restaurant, they are the ones creating these amazing food creations and stuff like yes. that. Now let's switch those two. <laughs> the chef is right. gonna draw draw audience to come in to put asses in those seats right in the restaurant and fill it up. And the the guy who knows or the gal that knows how to socialize the front of that restaurant to bring yeah. people in now is going to go cook in the in the kitchen. Coordinating with all those people. <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So, I mean, one of one of the things that I think in the IT industry that uh, that I think there needs to be another path, right? Where people who are exceptional at what they do, there are amazing coders that are phenomenal. They do dynamic programming, and they I'm I'm being a nerd now, you know. Uh, dynamic programming, they can solve problems, they can cut down the time of execution. Amazing, amazing work, right? Yeah. By the time they get to do amazing things, they go like, oh, you know what? Given their paycheck now, we have to turn them into a director or a VP, right? Yeah. And yeah. now, oh, what does that mean? That oh, the the big paycheck comes with uh, you have to you have to have an organization of three to five people of coders. You're going to be overseeing them. Yep. Yeah. What if that guy wants to be an amazing chef? You know, doesn't exactly. want to doesn't want to go to the front of the office and 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 uh, the, the wait staff and whatever the front does doesn't want to do any of that stuff. That they're just phenomenal at what they're doing, and I think it's just a disservice to the organization too, because you just took your number one coder and then said, oh, you know what? Now you're going to be a manager. You know, and and time and time again, I see that happening pretty regularly in every field where phenomenal people instead of them going on a route to becoming extremely phenomenal right at, at what the craft they do they get switched into some sort of a business role and then they leave this amazing skill set behind yeah I, I think every every tech track needs a knowledge-based expert or you know some equivalent to that in our world we call them knowledge-based experts right you, you're an expert of this let's just let's get you certified let's get you all the training let's make you an uber expert and all this stuff because, yeah, you're going to fall on your face as a manager and the people underneath are going to hate you. And let's not set you up for failure. Let's keep make sure you're on a path to success for sure. Yeah. Unless the person has the ambition and says, oh, you right. know what? Now I would like to because I live in New York. I want to go to NYU to get my MBA degree in technology so that I can understand the business side of things. And I want to because I never had that education. When you go on the computer science track or IT track, you don't get that business side of education that you're supposed to have, you know, in order to no. do that, you don't have it. To be honest right. with you, no school, no engineering school or computer science school gives you that education at all. So now all of a sudden you're 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 pushed into this thing <laughs> that because just because you've been in the field for five, seven years, 
you should be managing people. You don't have yep. the skill set. You don't even know how to run an organization, you know? You probably don't want to either. Like, oh, that's terrifying. Ah. And yeah, can I work really on two time? projects and give me a bigger yeah. paycheck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or give me and a bigger really be an architect. <laughs> Maybe I want to be an architect. Maybe not yeah. a leader because I'm good, good with frameworks and stuff like that, you right. know? Let me design stuff instead. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see a lot of those those new managers and those being pushed into management have a tough time with, with the difficult conversations, right? Which are super key to leadership. Having tough conversations is, is just so critical to leadership. And yet that is often where I see technical staff, uh, even ones who actually want to be leaders typically will really struggle and kind of fall on their face because like, I don't want to talk to like, I don't want, what's he going to think about me when I'm done and all this. So tough conversations is really an area that I've been focusing on with our technical leadership to make sure that, that they have training in that. It's just so critical these days to have those tough conversations with people. Yeah, I mean, imagine there's a layoff and, and you're told that, you know, in order to meet the budget, you have to lay off two of your people. Yeah. How do you select yeah. those two? <laughs> what conversation are you gonna have? Some some right. HR organizations are a little bit better. They train you a little bit, you know, give you some training yeah. or at least one questionnaire on how to deal with it. Right. Here's your page. Yeah. Yeah. Back when I did it, it was that was I'll be honest, that was one of the most traumatizing parts of my life of my management career was having to firing someone was bad enough. Right. But that was kind of their own doing. Right. They created that condition. But having to let someone go just because the company couldn't afford them anymore. And I'm sorry that you're not going to have you know food on the table tomorrow, but I got to let you go. That was really tough for me. So, yeah, yeah. in my there, case, I was so scared. One that I have yeah. to do this. And then yeah. I, and I had to, like, I've never done this before. <laughs> what do you mean that I have to let go of someone? Right? Yeah. yeah, you hired them, you have to let them go now, you know? Uh, you know, you have to decide w which two, you know? Uh, and, and then uh, I must have not slept for like yeah. a week or two that I could not like, like I did that to another human being. Like I, I had yeah. to go through that education it was it was the one of the roughest times in my life you know absolutely but rougher than even failing at certain projects i would say right oh yeah that 100%. you can say oh you know these things we did wrong you you analyze it and, and do something with it well but when it affects a human being what do you do right you kind of have to swallow your pride your you know everything that's, that you believe in like i don't want to do this this isn't right there's nothing good about this yeah i i had the blessing one time so i actually did a layoff and it happened a couple times in the past for, for my department. And I kind of saw the cycle happening. And so as people le left my department, I did not rehire them. But I kind of saw this downtrend happening. And when it came time for another layoff, they came to me, the CFO came to me and said, okay, you know, what two or three people are gonna choose? And I showed him how this time, rather than replacing people as they left, I had not replaced people because I saw this already happening. And he said, okay, and when it came to the layoff period, my department was the only one that didn't lose anybody. And those guys thought I walked on water. <laughs> like, what did you do? <laughs> That's just managing the process better. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what I just shared with you, I had to go through that personal development, right? Uh, I wouldn't call it success or failure. It's just growth. You know, it's just learning and growth. In your case, what is that? look like to as you were building up your leadership skills in in the it industry um for me it because i came from that that shy low self-confidence for me it was about believing in myself uh, i've seen so much and this is going to sound a little esoteric i'll give you some science behind it um i really believe that i believe that believing in yourself is just super critical you're not going to go after something you don't believe in because your mind won't let you it's going to say hey that's going to end in failure it's going to find every reason for you not to go down that path. You can't be more financially successful than you believe you can be. You can't have more health than you believe you're, you know, you're worthy of. Uh, you can't achieve more than you believe you deserve. So it really comes down to belief for me. Um, and I don't, I'm sure you guys have all heard the story about the Roger Bannister, uh, Bannister right? In the four minute mile uh, for, for years and years, for something like since 1886, no one believed you could blow away the four minute mile. And then Roger Bannister did it, and he did it being the first guy. So he had no role model to work off of. He just simply believed, yes, I believe it can be There was be no North Star. Exactly. Yeah. And he strove to beat that thing. And when he did it, suddenly someone else did it. The next year, three people did it in the same race. So it was just mental limitations. And, I've and seen now high school so students do it regularly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, a couple of thousands of athletes have done it by now. You know, it's a big, it's a big achievement for them. Um, but back in the day, they believed your heart was going to explode if you did it. 
And Roger didn't do the customary coach. He did not have a coach. He said, I'm going to teach myself. I, I know how to do this better than anybody else does. And he taught himself how to do it. So, you know, don't necessarily think you have to do it the way everybody else is doing it. This, this also speaks to business leaders, right, who believe that, well, no one else has done it before. I don't know if I can do it. You know, believe in yourself. Set that new precedent because just because no one else has done it before doesn't mean it, can be, it can't be done. And once you do it, everybody else will go, oh, it is possible. And suddenly they'll do it too, just like that. It was a mental limitation. And I have seen so many places in my own life where I remember I went to, uh, it was a, I don't know if you're familiar with Tony Robbins, but his date with destiny event. And I went there. And at that event, I realized that everywhere in my life I had been, I had limited, I was limited, was my own doing. No one had come along and said, put, put me in a box or said, don't go there. That's not, you're not good enough for that. I had done that to myself. And I'm pretty sure we all do this. We all create boxes and limitations around ourselves that we don't have to. If you can look past that, you can achieve amazing things. I promise you. I came from penniless and almost homeless to where I am now. <laughs> Definitely. Now, um, I've I've had a cast of characters. When I say characters, I mean from ama amazing people to extremely weird people, right? <laughs> Throughout my career, you know. Hopefully I'm on the one. You know. But, you know, I'm not judging any one of them. Everybody has sure. their own thing that, that they do, right? Uh, one situation, you know, um, that, I, that I was involved in, because uh, the person worked for me, uh, the person would go out and come back uh, from lunch uh, with a big gulp, you know, the 7-Eleven big gulp. Yeah, yeah, and big. then uh, the, the thing is, uh, I don't drink. So my senses are highly sensitive to yeah. when I smell alcohol. I can, oh. if, if you walk in uh, and you are 50 feet away i know you had a drink you know uh -oh. i know uh -oh. i don't have to i don't have to do a breathalyzer you right know? um once twice three times you know uh apparently this person had a challenge uh you know personal challenge with alcohol right yeah. uh and whenever they went out to lunch uh, for in the in their big gulp they would actually add uh, alcohol in in the big gulp so that they can sit down do their coding, drinking and coding, right? And, no and they were drinking. The, and the thing is, when you're in a coding, uh, you know, pod, you're very close to each other, right? right. Personally, right. as well as as well as you know, body odor and everything else, you know. Yeah. So once, twice, three times, and then finally, I, I first I, I approached a person about. I thought maybe it was bo, maybe that. No, it's not. And then. I, I said that, look, you know, I'm very sensitive to this because the person reported into me. It's not like it was a coworker peer, you know, right. they could have told me to F off, you know. So right. I, I uh, sat down with them. I said, look, uh, I know that you've been drinking and at work you can't drink. You're, you're not allowed to. Um, and I'm giving you this is going to be my only warning. That's it. No, no more. It's warnings. too dangerous. Mm -hmm. I'm giving you a, a, a verbal warning because this was for a power, you know, for for a power company. So that you really needed to be extremely careful, right? Yeah. Last last warning. Uh, either I don't care if you drink outside. Right? I, I'm not judging you. That's your, your own time. Yeah. Your time. But when yeah. when it's nine to five here, you can't drink. Right. And then and then the person uh, laid off a little bit and then went back. And then unfortunately, second time around, I had to involve HR to exit them that day. That's yeah. it. It didn't matter how great they were. This yeah. was like a, uh, they were causing a dangerous situation in, in the workplace by, by doing that. So when you come across these kind of interpersonal kind of, I mean, this is a different kind of an interpersonal conflict, right? But there are sure. sometimes you have team members that are butting heads all the time, right? Uh, you know, if both of them are great, then you are in a in a bad position, you know, as a boss, right? Because yeah. they're both very good. And who do you discipline, right? And right. who do you piss off, you know? Uh, so, what what were some of your stories like when it comes to like interpersonal? I'm sure that you have you have plenty of it in 35 years. Well, yeah. Uh, for me, I I worked with a guy who had a who had a meth a meth addiction. Wow. And. There were there were there wasn't anything obvious at first, but like we went in like someone went in, someone came in and reported to me that he went to the server room and the guy was in there with his shirt off and, and it's you know 68 degrees in the server room and he was just sweating like crazy um, and the and just all these little 
you know, hints about it. And I had friends who did it, so I was familiar with, you know, what it looked like. But then one day he made a toolbox for me and it had all these, you know, great tech tools in it. And he was so excited to show me. And he opened it up and there was a, there was a vial in it. He's like, oh, I don't know how that got in there. And he ripped it back out. And I'm just like, oh, and it was the same kind of thing. Like, I'm his boss. I got to do something. I can't pretend this isn't happening. I know, you know, it's it's a reality here. So I, re- I thought about it for quite a while. And I realized that I'm not doing it. I'm doing him a disservice by not having the conversation, number one. Um, and how, how I decided to approach it was like, I want to help you, man. This is tough. It can be addictive. I get it. So I want to, you know, I'll help you get, I'll help you get help. I want to assist you to get the help that you need. But you can't keep doing this. And if I find it, you know, any cause of this again, then I'm going to have to let you go. And he denied it and denied it and denied it. And so, yeah, I, for the good of the team, I had to say, I can't have you around anymore. I'm sorry. This is just too too high a risk, too much liability. We had transformers and generators and things like that. And if an accident happened, right, and when I didn't do anything about it, and someone found out that I knew and didn't do anything about it, you know, that could be terrible consequences. So, yeah, that was a big one. Um, that's another one. I had a one of the best employees I ever had. So if you're a manager, I can, and even if you're not a manager, I can tell you one of the greatest skills that managers look for is the ability to give you something and have you run with it till the very end and either come back and say, it's done or come back and say, here are the obstacles I'm running into. How can I get past these? And just knowing that whatever you give someone is going to be taken care of, that is gold to any kind of leader. And if you're, if you're not in a leadership position, <laughs> then take that skill. I promise it'll do you a world of good. But, um, this guy was an HR nightmare. He kept getting in trouble with HR over and over and over. I remember one day he decided to lift up his shirt and put it against the, the glass to the customer service team that was all in front of him and, and just things like this all the time. He thought he was being funny. Um, you know, and he approaches with women was terrible. And, it, you know, and again, it was the same kind of situation where this guy is gold. I just, everything I give him, I know it's going to be taken care of. But I couldn't keep him around for HR reasons. And I'm, I, you know, I had the conversation, I had the conversation. And, and time number four, I'm like, you know, you've given me no choice, man. I don't, I'd love to have you around. You're a phenomenal worker, but I just cannot run the risk of having you do something inappropriate anymore. So gotta let you go. So yeah, I'm familiar with those. It's very ironic, right? You know, talented people who are very good at what they do. And then you, you have that sort of a personality flaw that, ends up ends up like you know killing your career potentially you know depending on because well what does the next employer ask you why did you leave that job right that's always a question how do you answer that question (laughs) oh i didn't like the environment and they didn't like me because uh they didn't uh, appreciate my uh you know uh, what style of uh, bare belly that i was exposing all the time (laughs) it was too so, um, how do you, uh, you know, there, there are always challenges, right? I mean, sometimes not all, every project goes your way, right? Um, w- whether it's in IT or marketing, it doesn't matter. Not, not everything goes your way. Sometimes you have your, what I call them, I, I, there's, there's successes and then there are, uh, you know, nature giving you learnings, you know, a beating, yeah. a good beating. Other people call it failures. I don't think it's a failure. When you don't yeah. want to change anything, then, then it's a failure. But if, right. if you intend to learn from it to do something, then then it's, it's a learning. So, but how do you stay motivated through those kind of challenging, uh, you know, times uh, around your like your growth mindset that you have in, in your career? So one of the keys I found early on, and I had a teacher who kind of taught me this, and I really ran with it, was learning to reward yourself. And it sounds silly, but if you think about it, like. Somewhere along the lines, we realize that if we train our animal, we can train our animals to do whatever we want by giving them rewards when they do something we like and punishing them when they do something wrong. And it works great, right? Dogs, for a perfect example, cat, whatever it is. I mean, not a cat, but horses, right? Whatever it is, we reward them for the things that the behaviors that we like and we punish them for behaviors we don't like. Well, somewhere along the line, we said, well, let's do this with our children too. And so it's built into us teachers right every like 80 percent of teachers do a reward system of some kind we are programmed to go toward the rewards and yet typically as overachievers uh we like as soon as we hit that goal we're like okay what's next okay what's next we never stop to take the time to to celebrate the successes and to reward ourselves for what we've done you know what if you thought about your next vacation instead of a break from work as a reward for kicking butt at work 
Now it's got a whole different flavor to it, right? So I have learned to reward myself. Even if it's a small thing, a small reward. If it's a big thing, a big reward. But reward yourself along the way. And it sounds silly and it seems really trivial. But over time, it builds up. Like if you want to go in a certain direction, start rewarding yourself for it. And you will find that your subconscious is like, oh, okay. And you don't have these sudden urges to go do other things when it gets difficult. Um, so rewarding yourself is a massive way uh, to build up that momentum to go after something challenging or difficult or get through a, a tough time. And those rewards, by the way, don't have to be gigantic things. It's not like, oh, exactly. I'm going to go after I finish this, I'm going to go to Disney World, right? Or I want to go to right. Bali. It could be as simple as, you know, whenever I deliver a project, the, the guilty thing I'm going to do and actually to reward myself, I'm going to stop by the ice cream shop and get myself this ice cream, right? Yep. And to you, yep. symbolically, uh, it doesn't cost even 10 bucks. You, you buy that thing. Whenever that happens, you, you stop on your way, you get it, you enjoy that ice cream, and you feel, you know what, that's your reward for doing that thing you said that you're going to do. I, I've exactly. actually said those kind of rewards. Well, one of the things is a horrible habit. I'm not condoning it to, to anyone. Uh, that When I was younger, every project, every company that I helped launch, every as soon as we launched it and we were done, my celebration was one cigar. Nice. Well, one cigar when I was young. Cool. I don't do that anymore. It's been, yeah, it's been yeah. a long time, even yeah. though now I actually launched many companies now. So I, I then I, I'll become a chronic smoker if I do that. Right. Now. Yeah. So I, I started doing back smoking from doing that once. But yeah, I know I get it. <laughs> well, but once, once it was once in a while, maybe three or four times a year, it was OK. But now it's like every six weeks I'm launching something, you know, so it can't. <laughs> Then I'm going to become a smoker. So I stopped that. <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I decided the reward for, from now on that it cannot be that that we would. I need to replace it with something else. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it could be you know talk to a friend or, or hang out somewhere with somebody you haven't seen for a while. Or it's a big one. Like I bought myself a drone one time. Like that was I myself a drone. It was fun. And so I, re, I I in my mind I created an experience of fun with accomplishing something difficult, and that goes a long ways. I promise it really works. Definitely does. Yeah, don't pick up. I just want to make sure that my audience understands that I'm not condoning smoking. So please don't don't start smoking. Uh, you know, and if if you're smoking cigarettes or cigars, try to quit. You know, do your best to quit. You know, uh, so I'm not definitely not not condoning it. Um, you you talked about uh, you know overcoming these things. What are what is one of your proudest moments uh, in in uh, in your career or like one of the projects that went your way and it was a phenomenal success. It could be any time, you know, in your yeah. career. Um, as a manager, one of the greatest things I ever heard from a guy was I had an employee tell me he would take a bullet for me. He said, man, I would jump in front of a bullet for you. I was like, okay, that, that, that means a great deal. That didn't happen, did it? Happen, did it? No, no, never had to put, never oh, had to thank God. Okay. <laughs> um, that was a really big one for sure. Um, let's see, what, what else? Uh, for me, it was, so public speaking was was one of my greatest fears growing up. It was just ultra terrifying for me. And so, in, so moving into a field of public speaking of some kind, I pushed myself all the time to take public speaking. I knew I was gonna have to as a leader, right? It's not something you can just pretend you're not gonna be good at, you've gotta do it. So I, I, I call it pushing on a fear. I pushed on that fear over and over and over and over. I signed up for Toastmasters. I did voiceover wow. work, like anything I could do. Um, and it's still to this, and what most people don't know, I've done like hundreds of podcasts, I've done webinars, I've done trainings. It still scares me. I didn't sleep well last night. No one was going to come hang out with you today. So. <laughs> I'm very um, easygoing guy. You gotta, you gotta. You be are very easygoing guy. Yeah, you made this. You made this pretty painless. Thank you. Um, let's see. What are some of the other ones? Uh, Let's see. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. So, uh, oh, I know one. Um, it happened. My my father passed a couple of, two years ago. In fact, in February. Uh, thank you. And he was one of those kind of parents who never said he was proud of you. It was always like, I got an A minus. Well, why did you get an A? Uh, just push, push, push all the time, right? Which I'm sure created a lot of this drive that I have in me. Um, but he was he was never satisfied. Always pushing. In fact. The day I got my tech degree, and I graduated with honors, I was so excited. I spent two years straight. It was an accelerated program. I spent two years straight. I had two weeks off at Christmas time, and that was it for two weeks. 
and I had to take the bus because it wasn't making very, much, making very much money. So it was like the bus down to school, the bus up to work, the bus back to home every day for two years. And I graduated with honors. When I walked off that stage, my dad looked at me and said, well, now you can get a real degree. <laughs> I had two minutes. I had two minutes to, to appreciate that success I had. Anyway. So uh, no, no, but what was that to, to be clear? Because the thing is, I have a little bit of that personality. I'll, I'll explain. Yeah. It's not that it's not that extreme. Okay. Was it that that was his way of like dry sense of humor? No, he wanted me to succeed. Oh, he was very serious. Yeah, he oh he wanted me to be very successful. He came from a place where he was super poor, and he did not want his children to be that way. So he was pushing me to be as successful as possible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a nephew. Uh, is is uh, he went to the best high school, really top top of the class, right? Where his yeah. class, I mean, top of the class, meaning that his class, if it, it, you know, most people would get hundred or more on every yeah. exam. If if the kids got ninety eight or ninety nine, they were considered to be not so smart, you know, oh, out of one hundred, wow. because everybody got a wow. hundred or above. You know, that's the guy. That's the that's the that's the group he was in, right? Okay. So whenever I knew that that was the case, because he had told me that, right? Whenever he, he would come back and I knew that he was studying for, he's a, he's a nephew of mine. I love him to death. He lives next door to me, right? Uh, he goes like, um, I said, how did that test go? Oh, I got a 96. I said, do you know that they give out hundreds? I heard from you that they give it out to the other kids, hundreds. So what happened? Why didn't you get your four points, you know? But he knows that I'm joking with him. I joke with him. I've joked with him all his life. You know, he knows that okay. I'm joking with him. I don't, I don't mean it to be serious. You know, it's just dry okay. sense of humor. <laughs> be careful. You maybe create that crazy amount of drive in that kid, just like my father did in me, you know? <laughs> no, no, I mean, he's so, already driven. He's, he's really smart. Okay. I'm very proud yeah. of him. Uh, yeah. he's, uh, he's extremely smart and he does really well. Right. But he knows that, you know, and I also have a niece, another uh, from uh, another brother of mine, my niece, my other niece. She's an overachiever, also extremely overachiever. And one time I caught her uh, upset that she had gotten a 97. Oh. Right. I talk about like overachiever. I said, you know what? Things work out. Don't worry about it. You know, whether you got a 97 or 83, it will work out. You know, yeah. don't worry about it. You know, you did really well. So focus on that. Cool. You know, cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, so back to the story. So, um, my father was retired. He was retired Navy, retired federal government, and he invited me to join his poker night with his VA buddies. And I went down there, and he I, somehow the conversation came up. So, what do you do to me? And so I told him what I was doing, and I told the group, you know, what I would, what I've been doing, and where I got to, and some of the successes in my life. And he never, never in my life did I ever hear, "I'm proud of you," not once ever but i looked over at him and suddenly it clicked i'm like he brought me here to to show me off he wanted that question to come up so he so i could talk about it so he could be so proud of the success his son had got and you know for, for it's been like it's like a drill sergeant telling you did a good job you never you never hear you know i'm proud of you and you, yeah, you can see it beaming in his face i suddenly got it that he really was proud of me and that meant a great deal yeah, I mean, what is a typical question? Could that come up? Hey, uh, James, what do you do, right? In a poker yeah, game. Right. Exactly. Oh, I do X, Y, Z. This is who right. I work with. These are the companies, yeah. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Samsung, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, we are, we're doing this interesting project. All he has to do is sit back, uh, have a gigantic smile on his face. He doesn't have to say anything. You're already doing the job for him. And yeah. all he's be doing is being proud of you. Yeah, he didn't care if I could play poker or not, so... <laughs> I'm sure that you had never played poker in your life. Go like, why is my dad <laughs> no, bringing no, no, me no. to a poker game? <laughs> never. I didn't do great, but I did okay. Held my own. I beat him actually, so it was felt better. <laughs> one of the one of the most challenging times in my career uh, it was uh, again in my 20s when when I was running Vitamin Shop, right? Yeah. Um, we came across this this uh, these projects, competing projects, right? Competing demands. That happens to every person in, in IT and development and coding and stuff like that. On one side of it, I was trying to keep a life site and generating revenue and marketing and grow that business. And on the other side of it, I had to migrate this damn old beast into a, a brand new platform that would give yeah. us more functions and features to be more competitive, right? So you can sure. see that, like, 
uh, you, you know, it's like, I mean, luck would have it that nature gave me twins as kids because even nature decided that you can, I can handle it, right? A boy and a girl, right? Nice. So uh, I went like, this is very funny. Nature is doing this to me, right? And and, and this happens to me on, in my professional life all the time, you know? One side of it, you're trying to compete and to grow, go against the competition to grow this business. And on the other right. side of it, internally, you're trying to compete with, uh, launching a brand new site. And I would say that the most growth I had in my career was at that time right there. I learned more about myself. I learned more about right. competing demands. I learned about communication skills. I was not so good at it, <laughs> reflecting back, right? Uh, I should have communicated better with the CEO and others and stuff like that. So when it comes to, I know the struggles. I understand the struggles of let's say Cisco puts out a completely brand new set of firmware upgrades and new switches and the, the wiring needs to be changed out and all of that stuff. And that's one side of it. And at the same time, the highly available systems cannot be turned off. It cannot be offline, right? And right. your people need to take vacation and, and they need to go get married and go to sleep and stuff like that. How do you manage that chaos, that those competing demands and responsibilities in your work as a leader? Um, a lot of times we will assign text to clients. Unlike most MSPs where you call us a random person on the phone, we actually like to assign a tech to your environment so they can become familiar with you and your environment. So when something's gonna happen for a project, so first of all, we'll bring in a project team, right? But that point of contact will be front and center for that. So we make sure we schedule it around the life of that person so they can go get married or go to Disneyland or whatever it is for them. Um, that's a big part of what we do for success is we assign a person per client um, and then we work around that schedule. So that tends to help quite a bit with, a, with that challenge. Yeah, so um, what, what I just pointed to just now about poor communication skills right? Yeah. from my history. Uh, so can you reflect back on like, how do you prioritize and implement like effective communication, not with, not just within your team, but also stakeholders, right? You know, you, the C-level executives, board of directors, whoever you need right. to, you know, they, they need to approve your budgets and stuff, right? Those yeah. People, yeah, yeah. Right. How do you prioritize that and implement effective, you know, if you could go through just the, just the different examples of both within your team, as well as up the chain. And of course, yeah. also your peers. Sure. Um, within the team, you know, with, with the people that I serve, uh, I would I push a big sense of ownership, right? This is this isn't my client; it's your client. And how are you going to take care of this client? Are you, how are you going to communicate to the stakeholders at their location what's going to happen? So I put we put the onus on the technician to have a huge sense of ownership about it. And and I do it myself, right? Everything that happens in the organization under my direction is my fault. Period. And everything that goes well is somebody else's credit. So I make sure that I demonstrate a massive sense of ownership and then let that cascade on down so everyone else does as well. So it's a great place to start. It's just have, let everybody have that sense of ownership and you know believe that they can make a difference, believe that they are in charge of communication, and it's really theirs to own. And when you not only say that, but demonstrate that, you know, give them the ability to make those decisions, um, you know, they may reflect it back to you, like, hey, here's a decision I made. What do you think about this? Let them own that decision. Create a sense of ownership. That goes so far in any sense of communication, even with the introvert, you know, the introverted people. Uh, I I had a <laughs> this, this total introvert worked for me. And I remember I sent him to a branch office and the, the manager had a list of things that he needed to accomplish. And he went there and he came back. I'm like, did you get all those done? He's like, got them all done. I'm like, fantastic. And an hour later, the manager called me up and said, where is your guy? And I was like, <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I, I can very much relate to that. So we got to teach, especially for tech, especially for introverts, you got to teach. It's, doing the job is fantastic, but unless anyone knows about it, you did not do the job, right? It is not recorded until someone has confirmed and said, yes, I see that, and I can check off that box or whatever. Um, that's certainly a big part of it is, is teaching ownership and uh, teaching introverts to be able to, but the job isn't done until someone else checks it off. Um, so I would certainly direct people that direction. As far as upwards goes, um, learning to report up is tough. It's it's trying to find a balance, right? Do I want to make sure my the person I report to is informed and can make proper decisions? I don't want to bar bother with some crap that doesn't mean anything to them or will be meaningless or too much detail. 
So a lot of times I'll say default to too much detail and then set the expectation with them. Hey, this is too much information. Let me know. If there are parts of this you'd like me to run with, let me know. And that way, and then, you know, what do you want me to report to? What, what are you interested in? Start with a conversation with these folks to say, what is it you want to hear? What is it you need in order to make the decisions you have to make? That'd be my answer. Just to kind of um, uh, reflect on that a little bit, you know, in my career, what I've noticed is when, when I was in an, an organization like that, you know, where there was an upper one, upper people and lower people or your yeah. team members and stuff like that. Uh, as a leader, I felt like one of the jobs I had was when there was too much stuff coming down from the top down, right? not everything needed to be given to the team because the team has right. it scheduled. They're working on things. They will get distracted. Because sometimes there's a lot of nonsense that needs to be figured out before it gets implemented, right? And um, so that I would cushion the team from that everyday nonsense because that just causes a lot of chaos in the organization. And I didn't want to do that. And then on a weekly basis or monthly basis, then I would I would review those kinds of things with them, the things that still were a, an issue that we needed to discuss within our team, so that we can prioritize those things and then we can work work on them. That's the stuff coming down, right? When when it goes up, what I because I was involved in in these coding uh, teams and stuff like that, what I learned one of the things I had learned, and I would like you to kind of reflect on it too that if it's good news, we could wait till Thursday happy hour to go and celebrate, right? So that we can, our team can go out, we can have uh, chicken wings and, you know, enjoy ourselves and stuff like that, that's fine. But when it's bad news, we need to jump on it as quickly as possible, right? That don't, yeah. don't sit on it because sitting on it does not help. It just gets right. worse and worse and worse. So that's something that could have been done Maybe you're an SVP. Maybe there's an EVP that if you had that knowledge, if you sat down with them, they may give you some kind of perspective that you could tweak it. And then you're, you're, you just resolve this major mess that you thought you had, right? That's the other thing I learned, like good news, you could celebrate it a little bit later when everybody's available, right? But when it comes to bad news, you really need to jump on that thing as quickly as possible. And, and, Absolutely. and your team should have the confidence that when there is bad news, that you can be trusted as a leader for them to bubble it up, not that you're going to blame them for something. Down them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that perspective a great deal because I 100% believe that that you, your team needs a, the sense that you have their back, right? Because you want to create some loyalty? Tell someone, I got your back when they've just messed up. That will make such a massive difference. I had a guy call me up and he was just, I could tell he was terrified. It was like his first couple of weeks here. And he had, he had instead of copying one way, copied the wrong way and replaced the original the existing drive with, with the, da the blank data. And, and I, you know, my response was, look, hey, I've been there. I got your back, man. We'll figure this out. And that goes so far to create loyalty with people. They're like this guy's got my back, right? And you know, it's it's massive. People, when you do that repeatedly and demonstrate that you've got their back, they will work you know over and above for you. And you, when you call them out and say, "I need this done," they're going to jump because they know that it's important to you and you matter to them a great deal because you've got and, their and, back. And that person is never going to repeat that error. Exactly. Yes. You hope. You hope. You hope that they're smart. <laughs> they will never, ever repeat that mistake again, you know? 100%, yeah. James, so, yeah, having people back is huge. James, it's, it's been phenomenal having you on the show and sharing your Thank kind you. of your IT leadership journey. What is your, I always ask my guests, what is your number one $100,000 expert insight into your journey so that anyone that's starting out in the IT industry in sort of a leadership role or starting out in a non-leadership role that leads to a leadership role, that, that you could impart on them and any of your insights from your 35 years of experience? Yeah, so the best advice I ever got, and I'll put it in the form of a story. So my daughter uh, got diabetes when she was 13. She was type one. And just as a PSA out there, if you do not know the signs, if you have children or are going to have children and don't know the signs of, of diabetic of diabetes, please get understand them. I found my daughter passed out on the floor of her room one morning and it was awful. But um, she had to take, you know, she had to take shots and she had to check her blood sugar. And so she felt very ostracized and very different from the rest of the group. So we put her in a summer camp one year 
And it was a diabetic summer camp. So all the kids were testing their blood sugar. All the kids were taking insulin. So it was just something that we all did. And before I went, uh, one of my employees, he had a, his son had gotten diabetes at age five. He gave me the best advice I've ever gotten. And he said, when you go there, you, you will notice that there are two groups of parents. One group of parent is, why did this happen to us? Poor us, our poor son. What are we going to do? Oh, why did this happen? Why does God hate us? You know, whatever words you want to use. And the other camp of parents were like, well, stuff happens. Oh, well, we'll just work through it and keep going. And he said, and you can see the difference in the children. One you know, group of child is well-adjusted and handling it. and One is struggling with it completely. And I would, I've even seen more examples of this. So uh, I've seen where when someone's very young and there's a death in the family, an important uh, person dies in the family, there are two different outcomes that can come from this. One child can see it as life is, life is scary. The shoe is going to drop at any time. You need to be prepared for anything. Um, you know, and no offense to people like this, but preppers typically are like that, right? They get this mindset that anything can happen at any time and I'm going to be ready for it just in case. The other perspective that someone can pick up from that is that life is precious and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to live life to its fullest. Two very different outcomes from the same exact experience. So life isn't what happens to us. It's the meaning that we give it. That's it's my your, vibe. That's, that's well said. Uh, I think it's, the, it's your reaction to the things that are happening to you, right? Absolutely. How you control your reaction and what do you do with that reaction? James, thank you for definitely those words of wisdom and also all these stories that we went through. Uh, phenomenal. It's great having you on the show. Thank you again for being an amazing guest on this show. It's been my pleasure my honor to be here. Thank you very much. And thank you, audience, for tuning in again. We have phenomenal guests like James uh, throughout this season uh, joining us and sharing their journeys and their expertise in, in, in the fields that they are in. So keep on tuning in and keep on learning. Uh, until next time.